Coming at you live from a bygone era for the animation industry where the only thing you had to do to get a development deal with MTV was enter a contest. It's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with cartoon? to yet another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic podcast where we dig through the animated past to find what cartoons made here in Canada are worth remembering. I'm your co-host, Christos Antonio, And I'm your co-host, Sylvie Kettles. And let's address this right out the gate. Um, this was not our original planned episode. <laughs> yeah. This is not our original planned recording date. Yeah, we, we had to give ourselves a couple of days breathing room. And I kind of want to put this out there for whatever audience uh, listens to this, because by now, uh, close to 100 episodes in, you know, this is what, 91, not episode 91, so about, on average, 91 hours of us talking on the internet. That's, it's a scary thought, that's, but... <laughs> that's too many hours. It's too many hours, but it takes 10,000 to get good at podcasting, apparently, according to Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. So we're almost there. <laughs> We're almost a tenth of the way there. Wait. Yeah. Wait. No. We're almost a hundredth of the way there. Do not ask me the math for God's sakes, please. We were originally planning to do an episode covering The Ripping Friends. You may or may not remember that superhero manly man parody show from the early 2000s. I sure didn't. No, you didn't. This was a me pick, unfortunately. And you may or may not remember that... That creator of that show, John Crixvalusi, was credibly accused of some horrible crimes involving underage girls. Yep, and uh, we were gonna we were gonna uh, have to talk about that. Yeah, and in the process of writing out the notes and writing out the actual intro to the show, where. We, I was making it abundantly clear and that we're not going to talk around the thing, the bull, the, sorry, the, uh, the elephant in the room considering yes, that guy's career. Sincerely fuck that guy. Sincerely fuck that guy. And at that point, I wonder, like, is it worth covering at all? And the more I thought about it, the more I landed on, no, we don't need to give any more oxygen to this show, even to this show, to this creator, to his entire career. And, Sylvie, you more or less agreed with me when I just sprung this on you the day of the recording. Yeah. It was It was just kind of like, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, we don't have to. No one, no, no one no, has we... a gun to our head and is like, this is an important part of Canadian animation history. You have to talk about it. At the end of the day, if it's not fun... And it wasn't going to be fun. There was no way that episode was going to be a good time for anyone involved. No, we were going to, like, introduce it with the most uncomfortable thing and then awkwardly seg into, well, I guess we talk about the show now. And 
Yeah, because, like, we What are we even doing at that point? We've come across... It has happened in, uh, like, previous episodes where, like, an actor or an animator involved has been a known sex pest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's easy... That's easier to be like, hey, by the by, here's this information about someone who was involved in this show. But in the case of someone like John Kay, where it's like, we, we can't... We cannot say, oh, by the way, like, he's the whole last creator of the show. He was honestly, and I hate to admit this, but the first figure within the animation industry where I thought, like, oh, so cartoons can have auteurs as well. <laughs> it was well before the time when, when, like, I knew my shit and studied up and actually cared about the credits to my favorite cartoons, mm-hmm. but... Everything he was involved with was a John K. production. Yeah, it's there. There's a vibe to it. Um, yeah, f- for better and worse. Usually for worse. He's yeah. not. In hindsight, a lot of his original Ren, Ren and Stimpy stuff and his other stuff uh, that he's been involved with, kind of bad. Hate yeah, to, hate uh, to break it to you. So so fuck that guy. We decided to talk about something fun. Yeah. So. I don't know if you want to like reach out comment wise and I don't know, discuss this topic. Sure, let let us know. Um, this is our decision, but if you would want to hear an episode on the ripping friends, we wouldn't have much to talk about. But I don't know. Let us know. We're, we'll absolutely uh, feed field your feedback. We'll kowtow to a single demand. Exactly. We're that desperate. Now, speaking of desperate, uh, we're going <laughs> back to school today. Oh, no. Isn't it fun now, like, so far removed from our original college days, we just have to dredge up all those memories for the sake of talking about a cartoon? See, I largely enjoyed my undergrad. I had a good time. I did, too. I did, too. I'm being a little dramatic, but um, it's always awkward to revisit a lot of who I was at... Uh, spoiler, not to dox us, but we are both graduates of Wilfrid Laurier University. Oh, shit. Go Golden Hawks. That was them. Uh, my very first interaction, because, like, I was, <laughs> I'm a legacy. It was just my mom and brother also <laughs> went to Laurier. Um, so my first Here interaction. Here is your medal. Yeah, no, so my first interaction with that school was as, like, a petulant, a teenager touring it with uh, my with my brother, and that was like they had just installed that new hawk on the floor, and they were like, "Hey, we don't walk on the hawk." That's our weird po- and like uh... I was a petulant teenager, so I was like, "Cool story," and then walked right on the hawk, like a. Rebel. Oh, I think when I took my tour, I think when I took my tour, I just sat on it. <laughs> because that's what happens when you try to get me involved in school spirit is. I get spiteful. Yeah, and at the time, I didn't know if I was going to Wilfrid Laurier or some other Southern Ontario college. So I was like, "Hey, you know what? Let's not let's not like lay down any roots yet." Yeah, let's not let's but, not yeah. uh, get involved. Both myself and Sylvie had a wonderful time at Wilfrid Laurier University, where we met, by the way. Yeah, that was how we became friends. Was being film studies losers. Where the genesis of Cartoon Night in Canada happened, actually, because it was probably in one of those classrooms where we were just talking about fucking ugly Canadian cartoons. Yeah, we were like, hey, do you fucking remember Angela Anaconda? 
Like, yeah, of course I do. And while, meanwhile, everyone else in, like, within the vicinity of this table we were sitting at is like, what the fuck are those two talking about? <laughs> we had Disney Channel, like, cool kids. Yeah, blow it out your ass. We're talking about being Ian. Not today, though. Not today. Uh, but we bring, we dredge, we dredge all these memories up and gonna have to revisit our awkward college years where you really find out what kind of person you are. I would say it's kind of like when you start to lay the groundwork for who you could become, because for most people, it's like the first time you are legally an adult, you're, you're probably living away from home for the first time. So like you can start to kind of figure out who you might be, but uh, usually you don't end up sticking with that. No, but it's, it's more, it's less pathetic to peak in college and university than it is to peak in high school. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, and today uh, we're going to be talking about me. a show. But not for me, sorry. I, I, do, I, I do must highlight, I peaked at like two years old when I was constantly walking around the house in a pair of sick-ass uh, Mr. Potato Head sunglasses. And like, so you've just been chasing this height <laughs> for 20-on years now. Yeah, there's, like, there's a photo of me in that, and, like, I would also always joke, like, oh, yeah, that's where I peaked. And then apparently there was, like, recently um, we were re-watching some family videos, and there's a video of me looking like that, and it's like, oh, no, I was the coolest toddler ever! It was all downhill from there! God, you watched that video like... Like, alcoholic dads watch that one touchdown they did in high school. <laughs> exactly. It's like, man, I had the world at my fingertips then. And it's just you playing with sunglasses on your head. Yeah. Like, I could have been something. I could have been, been a contender. But. Sorry. We're going to be getting into our feelings concerning our college years because we're going to be talking about a show that is all about the college experience that, by the way, I watched when I was way too young and was very disappointed when I arrived at Wilfrid Laurier University and my life was not like the life of the show. Rip, dude. I know that's pathetic. I know that's very pathetic, but look, it just glamorized the college experience, <laughs> right, guys? Yeah, they don't go to a single class. Okay, that's a really good joke throughout this running through this entire series, yeah. but uh let's just get into it. Cue the good Charlotte. <laughs> Yay. So come and talk to me on my computer screen. The best years of our lives aren't as easy as they seem. To get the go and make the great, it's all a show, it's all a game, and I would lose it if I played. But anyway, On this episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, we are enrolling in nondescript state college and never going to class. It's undergrads. Created by fresh-faced fresh 19-year-old college sophomore with literally no experience in the animation industries, Pete Williams. Who the fuck is Pete Williams? He's just a guy. He, the definition of just a guy with a TV show. Yeah, like, the, the story of it is that MTV was fucking desperate to have a show. Mm-hmm. So they just said, hey, they did a nationwide 
contest where it was like, hey, just animate an interview with some characters, and if you're if you're funny enough, we'll give you a show. Please do the work for us. And this 19-year-old won by virtue of being the only one of 15 total entries. I assume because a lot of the professional animators saw this as the sleazy free work grab that it was. And we're like, nah, I'm not not going to get involved in that. So he was one of 15 entries who just happened to follow all of the rules. So he won by default. Yeah, what what they don't tell you about like some of these, because this still happens in the industry, by Absolutely. the way. Absolutely. Like, Cartoon Network does like pilot uh, programs and pilot competitions. And guess what? When you enter into that pilot program, Cartoon Network retains the rights of what you submit. They, they get your shit. That's not your show anymore. You can't shop it around anywhere. This was also a drama for, like, the American manga publisher uh, Tokyopop, where, where they were really nasty about some of the, uh, some of that, where, like, if you entered a contest, oops, that's our, sh- our series now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty predatory. Yeah, because they're like, they're they're feeding on people, young artists with aspirations of being professionals who don't necessarily understand how the industry works yet. Well, you you mentioned that like only fifteen entrants and probably a lot of the people who had experience in the animation industry weren't bothering because they know how these contests go. They know what MTV Entertainment Studios, or I think at the time it was MTV Animation Studios was going to do with your pilot. Yeah, like, they see, uh, hey, enter this contest, do some animation, and if you win, we'll give you a show. And they were like, Mm-mm. Unpaid labor. Yeah, they were like, that is that is hours and hours of unpaid labor for, oh, I might get a show. And then, as we saw with, uh, with Pete Williams' victory, was, no, 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 you don't get a show, you just get the opportunity to make a pilot for them. Yeah, um, you made a good point, and we talked about it on previous episode Celebrity Deathmatch and previous episode Clone High, is that MTV Animation was kind of cursed. They jumped into the uh, animated industry kind of haphazardly on the back of the popularity of Beavis and Butthead, mm-hmm. and just just have a trail of corpses behind them of one-season shows that did not go anywhere. Undergrads included. Undergrads included, but, like, I we, I probably brought up this list last time, but, like, The Head, The Max, uh, uh, Station Zero, Fred on Your Head Show, Downtown, these things that they just threw money at and didn't care about actually programming or supporting. Yeah, like, um, one of the, one of the sources I dug into, like, talking about this was that the the pilot episode or like the first time that undergrads aired on mtv coincided with like a new season of the simpsons i i'll get into that yeah Yeah. um like they are they are dooming their own shows to failure constantly yeah spoiler alert uh undergrads had absolutely no chance of being successful yeah and that wasn't even pete williams fault in america at least in america yeah uh We'll get into that, too. Uh, so the contest that he entered was the uh, MTV Character Screen Test Competition as part of the World Animation Celebration of 1997. 
I just I just found like the placard that Pete Williams still has from this. Oh, good for oh, I'm, I'm I'm glad he's if he's proud of it. I'm glad about that. Remember, uh, fresh faced nineteen year old in college probably can't even grow uh, facial hair yet, and oh, really is given should. a development deal with MTV. I truly know that I shouldn't have been given that opportunity at nineteen. No, God knows what the fuck I would have made. Um, you knew me at nineteen. I was a wreck. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, originally developed under the name The Click, the show was a co-production between MTV Animation, naturally, Toronto-based Decode Entertainment, which is now under the umbrella of Pro Union Wild Brain Studio. Fuck yeah. And Ottawa-based Funbag Entertainment, which does not have a union, I don't think, so fuck them. Boo. And that makes this... Um... Oh god, what's the word? TikTok. Te- TikTok Canadian. Not literally TikTok. <laughs> Technically Canadian. I was trying Canadian. to do a clock sound. Technically Canadian, and that's the best kind of Canadian. It sure is. I think we're at the. I think we're at a point with a show like this, with undergrad specifically, where this is more than technically Canadian because. We literally embraced this where American audience did not give a shit. Yeah, America was like, ew, what's this? We don't care. We want to watch The Simpsons. And Canada was like, yes, please, I'll have another. Movie, please! Just the viewers of Teletoon uh, went to the garbage can that had an episode of Undergrads playing. It's like, why'd they throw this out? It's still good. It's still good. Look at Canada it. Is the, characters. Canada That's funny. is the raccoons of, of television. Hey, as a Toronto resident, yeah, <laughs> I, I love Toronto's national animal, sorry, not national, like, municipal animal is the raccoon, Good. because we are trash. The show premiered on MTV, as you said, in a primetime slot, right next to The Simpsons on April 22nd, 2001, and lasted a total of six episodes before MTV dropped it from that slot, shifted it around their schedule, and was then shocked when it wasn't successful at all. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that brand new project really needs support to be successful. They're not going to magically just be successful because, oh, if it's good, people will watch it. We do not live in a meritocracy. Like, you, you can't help but feel bad for Pete Williams, who was... I, I can understand... Uh, being a little annoyed with how the industry worked at the time, uh, someone who had no experience, uh, just being gifted a show after a couple of trial runs through this competition. But as soon as he was gifted that show, there was an interview I was reading. Uh, Vice caught up with him uh, regarding the Kickstarter for the Undergrads movie, which may or may not still be happening. I mean, so far, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, and he was saying, like, yeah, I was... Uh, a sophomore in college we just finished work on the season and i was wondering what i was going to do next and i was looking on television on mtv and i couldn't find my fucking show anymore yeah because they weren't communicating with him he he has one line in this interview that he did with vice where it's like i i went to the mtv animation offices and my key card didn't work i called the head up there it's like what's happening and all they said was you should file for unemployment Oh, that's cruel. Yeah, because uh, it was 2001, 2001 when the show actually aired. So he was around like 21, 22, 23 at that time. Dropped out of college to work on this show mm-hmm. and had that ent- 
that entire experience ripped away from him and no prospect for the future. Yeah, he's never... Uh, he had, like, one um, independent directorial project in 2011. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but feel bad for this guy, but in Canada, we felt bad for this guy and picked that show right up and loved it forever because the show ran several months after the American pre premiere on Teletoon as part of their detour programming. We just gave it a home and it just lived on Teletoon in reruns, in syndication, forever. Like, like the loyalists after the American Revolution, undergrads fled to Upper Canada and we embraced it with open arms. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's exactly like that. It's the exact same situation. MTV. No, nail on the head. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> so, for today's episode, uh, I, as I said, I watched a lot of this show. Uh, Sylvie, you had absolutely no experience, so. Yep. I just sent you a couple of episode titles, and you selected Roommates. Directed yeah. by series, yep. Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna pull up the the four that you sent me. Oh please. Yeah, were um, drunks, roommates, yep. rivalries, or virgins. <laughs> and I figured classics of them all. We've both had roommates before, so surely that would have the most interesting stuff. That if if the episode is bad, at least we can like story time our way through this episode yeah and i've never had a drink in my life so that drunk one is not, i i have nothing to relate to and this episode uh oh by the way the show ran for 13 episodes before being swiftly canceled by mtv directed by series director jerry popowich and written by josh kagan who was a stalwart on the writing staff for undergrads original canadian air date june 30th 2001 sylvie hmm what, what is undergrads about? Um, so is undergrads, it exactly what it is on the tin? I mean, basically, yeah. It uh, focuses on four uh, childhood friends who go to... Uh, three of them attend the same college. One of them's off on his own little world. Um, but the, the four of them just going through the college experience and the way that their friend group... Uh, bounces off each other and around facing all of the problems that brand new adults can face on a college campus. Yeah, Pete Williams took the advice, write what you know very literally. And it worked. It worked for him. He got a show on MTV, which yeah. not a lot of people can say. But what, what undergrads pretends to be is this uh, exploration of the, eight, uh, the typical stereotypical college experience and all the episodes are themed around something that may happen to you when you get to college uh experiences with roommates losing your virginity uh going to a party having your first drink i mean if you're going to college you haven't had your first drink loser <laughs> sorry if you haven't my, gotten my... drunk in a friend's basement at 15 if you haven't absolutely destroyed your brain and liver before you're an adult what are you even doing that's the Southern Ontario experience, okay? Like, what, what, what can we say? Participating in college traditions, um, getting the freshman 15, it's all very much trying to be a universal 
college experience and exploring these universal college experience, but using the guide of three outlandish cartoon characters and and self-insert everyman. Yeah, yeah, Pete Williams was very, um, has, has been very honest about the fact that uh, the three, three of the four guys were all based on real friends he had in college and that he did a very bad job of hiding that fact. You were telling me that multiple, I think all of them know and yeah. are not pleased? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's never stated that outright, but he's very sheepish when he brings it up. That leads me to believe it's like, oh, you got called out, right? <laughs> I'm not sure if any of those guys are talking to you anymore. Understandably. Because I mean, come on, dude. He, it's, it's three, like, intentionally hideous caricatures of people, and then a normal-looking guy. Boy, yeah. guess which one is Pete's self-insert? The normal-looking, level-headed, always chill and relaxed dude. And these Cartoon Network caricatures of college students. The... the the Dover boys, for God's sakes. Yeah. Um, so you've got... It, it's taking these... What, I guess, uh, I almost call Pete Williams nits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're the same person. I know, but what Pete Williams is trying to do is he is trying to encapsulate the college experience, and so he has these characters stand in for their archetypes. Uh, Gimpy, the computer nerd. Uh, Cal, the effeminate ladies man Rocco the jock who's misogynistic and alcoholic uh, and Nitz the normal guy the guy normal guy normal guy who is you know still obsessed with his high school crush this is this is the thing is that I'm kind of impressed that uh, old Petey Williams is being so forthcoming with Nitz being a self-insert, because this character's really pathetic. Yeah, the problem is the show doesn't seem to think so. No, no, he is the average man. He is the average college freshman that you all aspire to be. Yeah, I, th I think Nitz being a pathetic sad sack, um, who no one should date, is accidental. He just seems like a bummer. Yeah. Um, he seems like a bad hang. I will... I will um, do a self, a, a fun little self call out though. He does. That's look what this like... podcast is here for. Absolutely, I do nothing but roast myself. Um, he does kind of look like a cartoon version of Shane Stardew Valley. Oh wow! Okay, um, <laughs> is it a self call out that I get that reference? Uh, and unfortunately, unfortunately. That is my husband. Oh, no, yes, uh, the Stardew Valley character, not Nitz. Not Nitz, but the vibes with, I don't the the baseball cap and hoodie is giving his uh, work uniform look, and it, it's, like, actively, I would do double takes watching this episode. Yeah, yeah so that's basically what undergrads is, it just, like, like, it, it wants to be this somewhat exaggerated look at college life, but also very true to the experience and trying to coach kids, like, mixed up kids going to college through the social nuances of it all. Yeah, which, like, 
say, like, I, I think it did an okay version of that sort of dramatization. It's dependent on the episode, because... Yes, uh, it's really playing off this idea that in college is where you first start to understand that you need, quote unquote, need an identity of some type mm -hmm. and where you begin to define yourself. It's like a it's a time to really change things up. It's a blank slate, essentially. And yeah, it's, it's a time that, that there's a reason why people like refer to college as having like an experimental phase, whatever that mm -hmm. means to them is like, yeah, it's you have enough independence that, like, oh, you're an adult, you can do things all by yourself now that you can change it up, but there's also, like, levels of security and safety. Like, there's... You're still enough of a kid that you have fallback options, ideally. Like, you, yeah. can, you can play around, and the world isn't gonna fall apart if you fuck up. And it's kind of why I like this, uh, like, thematic through line that is undergrads. Because it's all based around this, like, this core four of the titular undergrads. And who are, like, friends since, like, they were in grade school. And as soon as they get to college, it's when they're finally positioned against each other and going on their own paths. And it's when all of them kind of realize, like, how did we ever get along for so, like, for the majority of our lives well, yeah because like elementary school and high school friends are basically like your friends by proximity yep it's purely because oh i am in a room with these people for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours every single day for 10 plus years so like yeah, yeah and you you're gonna bond with people because they happen to be there <laughs> and it's it's the it's the most interesting aspect of undergrads is that like you, you look at this group, their interactions through every episode, and we're like, how the hell are these four people friends? Yeah. They are so different. But, I mean, that kind of ends up being, like, a lot of friend groups in college do kind of look like that sometimes. But they also just drift apart and find their own pathways. Yeah. Like, it's... I think Rocco is the real standout here to me, where it's like, he's got frat brothers, but he still hangs out with these guys. And I think the joke here is that all of his frat brothers hate him. No, it is. Because uh, he... It's a it's a really great pilot episode of this, where he tries to ha haze himself to get into uh, the frat, and all the people at the frat are like, we don't haze anymore. It's <laughs> 2001. That shit's, like, barbaric. God, I wish that was the truth. I know, Greek culture on campuses, you can keep it. Like, yeah. just end it. Disgusting. Yeah. Uh, I So, while I was watching this, I was wondering, um, do you know how, like, when a group of four people come together, and the question someone may be asked, like, this is a classic question to ask when, like, you're just hanging out with three other people, it's like, hey, we hang out a lot, which of the Ninja Turtles are you? Okay, um, Gimpy's obviously Donatello, that's easy. No, I, um, <laughs> I, I I like how you tried to run with that, but I was going to say, like, which one of the undergrads are you? <laughs> no, I thought it was going to be a bit. No, no, the, the the bit was, like, do you think Canadian kids, when they were, like, first got to college as all freshmen, it's like, so I'm such a nits in this group. You are the gimpy. You're the cow. I, I mean, I can't think of a, a better option. And racist Harry over there, he's the Rocco. <laughs> fucking racist harry i don't know why we hang out with that guy proximity probably yeah i mean like 
I think his dad was friends with the, this, the our fourth friend's dad. Oh, you just got grandfathered into a child friendship? Yeah. <laughs> That's pathetic. I hate when that happens. Um, What's this episode about? Uh, this episode is about uh, Cal and Nitz, who are roommates, um, getting fed up with each other. So Nitz decides to room instead with his girl neighbor, Jessie, because her roommate... Uh, her roommate Charity is going uh, stalking her ex-boyfriend for the weekend. Oh, that's what this. Okay, so. Yeah, I did. I did look into the details of what Charity's fucking deal is. So when I saw this episode originally, and just based off how Charity speaks and her name, I thought she was a part of a Christian cult that worshipped Jonah. I mean, that's she does worship Jonah. Is the thing I didn't know that was her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. That is her ex-boyfriend that she's obsessed with. Because, you know, college. Yeah, caricatures. Okay, okay, truly though, this is not far off from a roommate I had in at, at university. Oh, are you going to tell me you just related to undergrad? I did. Um, not, <laughs> not it, it wasn't that she was obsessed with an ex. It was that she hated living with me and our other housemates so much um, that she literally got a boyfriend so that she could live with him. And her yeah, room, that's a, her that's room a solution. Just, yeah, her room just remained empty for the entire year. And did your sad boyfriend come and crash in the bed for literally no reason? Uh, no, because she locked the door, so we, we couldn't put anyone else in that. Can I, can we just speak about, because, uh, were you in residence year one of... No, I lived with my brother, because he was in his last year when I was in my first. Okay, uh... I'm looking at these dorm rooms in undergrads. They are massive. They they are suspiciously roomy. They are big, well-furnished, well, very spacious, yes, uh, rooms that have two beds in them, usually a room for a desk and multiple other, and like an ensuite bathroom, for God's sakes. I, I remember uh, I, for my first year at Wilfrid Laurier University, I lived on the fifth floor of Dub CH, hoo-ha, and... <laughs> And we had a little shitbox room that had one bed, a desk, a little bit of a pantry, and a shared bathroom with somebody across the way from you, who we refer to affectionately as shitmates. Yeah, the only the only um, residence experience I've had was at Carlton, uh, where because I was a master's student, uh, we got our own floor. And there were, ah, it, it sweet. was suites. Um, so it was like two bedrooms with like a little kit. We had private kitchenette and then a, a bathroom. And it, it was literally only the laundry was shared. And also that roommate uh, lived with her boyfriend. Maybe it's me. Um, <laughs> uh, no, she, she fucking disappeared at the beginning of October and I think, like, two weeks later, I texted her to be like, hey, are you alive? And she was like, yeah, I live with my boyfriend now. So I just had the whole place to myself. Damn. Pretty sweet. It, it yeah, was, it uh, was sweet. Ha, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah the, yeah, the theme of this episode is... Uh, because you are finally becoming an adult and learning to value your own space and privacy... It becomes like a roommate has to be well selected and not everybody can 
work in that relationship, and that's totally fine. Yeah, sometimes, like, a, a good friend does not make a good roommate because your, your uh, lifestyles just don't mesh well. Yeah, and that, that close proximity, that intimacy with somebody, sharing one uh, kind of studio room, causes tensions. And it's natural that that will happen and put strains on friendships. Yeah, as we see between Nitz and Cal. Also, and the, Nitz and Jesse as well. Uh, the B-plot of this episode is that Gitz gets a computer girlfriend. G Gimby, not Gitz. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, that I'm sorry, be, I just, uh, just started writing fanfiction in my head, so, you know, I, I sometimes confuse that with the canon. That would be the character uh, that would be born if Nitz and Gimpy did the fusion dance from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Gitz. Like, uh, George R. R. Tolkien. <laughs> I don't even think that was picked up on Mike, but I'm not even going to explain that <laughs> joke. No, it's perfect. Uh, let's leave it that way. Um, so, for this episode... Uh, so it's with the development of this conflict between Nitz and Cal is where the unfortunate self-insertness of Nitz being Pete Williams comes in. Uh -huh. Because, you know, when you're in that freshman year of college, who didn't just have a very attractive, hot, alt-Asian friend, girl, who was willing to let you crash in her room? And was, like, super... Uh... Like, often she sleeps naked and constantly wants you to rub her shoulders and has really good taste in movies and video games. Okay, so I love that that moment is Jessie being projected as Nitz's perfect woman, where it's like, oh, she wants to watch the Jet Li film Black Mask, and it's his original Hong Kong, Hong Kong cut. And also, they're going to split a can of ravioli. <laughs> Peak romance. This fucking child. Peak romance. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, this is the unfortunate aspect of the Nitz character being Pete Williams, is that when you view it through the mature eyes, because he's, like, in his 40s now, looking back on this, like, wow, yeah. I was really projecting here. It's the kind of cringe shit that you absolutely would write when you're 19, because sometimes you gotta just write something for yourself, and unfortunately, he was writing something for himself that also just had a large audience of Canadian children. He created a character in this fiction of State University where it's like, no, th this, this type of person absolutely exists. And he was just writing his little notes on campus in real life. It's like, yep, my Jesse's going to walk through that door any minute now. Any minute. With a can of ravioli and a Hong Kong action movie. And hey, maybe she did. <laughs> I don't know what Pete Williams' no. life was like after college. Uh, he didn't finish it because he dropped out to work on this show that was canceled. Oh, poor dude. I hope he's having a good life right now. I mean, he's working on a movie of undergrads. Apparently, I was looking at his post-career before he dedicated his time to getting this undergrads movie off the... Uh, uh, off the ground. Mm. And he was working for a company that was developed like hologram technology for haunted houses. <laughs> yeah, he did he did end up like developing some skills in like Adobe After Effects. And he seemed to enjoy that kind of uh aspect of of like creation. So I, I totally understand that being 
his path, getting into the practical or digital effects. Yeah, I like that this experience with MTV didn't sour him on working in animation. I, I, I like that he this was like a growing pain learning experience for him, and he just took his lumps and tried to find his own space in the world. Yeah, like, he, he took, like, okay, I learned a skill. I just don't want to work in the television industry. Totally fair. And I it's do harder not blame now than him. it ever was. Yeah. So the the thing with this uh, plot and roommates, the the A plot is uh Nitz walks in on Jesse naked and suddenly it becomes a weird thing where they're not roommates anymore or even friends. He tries to take it into a romantic road or but he does doesn't it. he's very it's a very conflicting character arc for Nitz in this episode. I don't understand it. It's I, I, I think I, I understand the emotions that are that they're trying to display here, where it's like he thinks he's picking up on signals, so he want and he wants to pursue them. Like he is into Jesse after seeing her naked. So he's like, okay, I will pursue this, but he's also terrified of rejection. So yeah, so yeah, he that's like kind of what I was picking up too. Yeah, so like he kind of inches towards being like okay let's do you wanna and then draws back before he can actually get a realistic answer i i will say uh there's this montage of after the like after the experience of walking in on her naked and like him living in the awkwardness of that now mm -hmm. seeing her not just as a friend but as a good 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 girl <laughs> yeah no i know that uh, feeling yeah um now he's in the space where it's like he's every little thing that she just asked him, maybe even as a friend, he's taking as a signal and being really weird and awkward about it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a charming art for him in this episode. It's frustrating, but like, I guess I get where he's coming from. Yeah, it's it's frustrating in that. Oh, no, I it me. I knits. <laughs> and this is the funny thing about undergrads and it's weird uh, tonal it's weird atonal nature is that while while Nitz and Jesse are living in this indie rom-com from like 2000 that played Sundance and was never picked up <laughs> Gimpy is having an online relationship with a fellow hacker I love the b-plot I love oh god I wrote down because I did I did want to check I checked the timeline of their flirting and it, it adds up. So at the very beginning, um, Gimpy is, like, trying to buy all of the uh, Bubba Fett action figures on eBot. Yeah, uh, the thing about Gimpy and the series in, in general is uh, Pete Williams is a nerd who is a very big fan of Star Wars. And, and also the Oh my Star god, there's so much Star Wars in this the show. The Star Wars prequels were just about to come out. Oh, no, they were out. Yeah. Uh, he sends a photo of Obi-Wan Kenobi from yep. Phantom Menace to She Prime. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he gets hacked so that instead of buying all the Bubba Fett action figures, he buys a 1976 um, Laverne and Shirley uh, thermos, which is impossible because the sitcom started in 1976, so there wouldn't have been thermos merchandise already out first time showrunners 19 year olds they don't know what they're doing do your How research pete however um when they actually start chatting with each other and like they're they're 
insulting each other back and forth. The one-upmanship of their, because uh, they're, they're, the bit is that they're calling each other outdated uh, tech. So it starts with She Prime calling him a brother word processor circa 1986. Uh, I can't believe you wrote all these down. I did. He then, he then says, oh, yeah, well, you're a Coleco Adam, which came out in 1983. And she says, well, yeah, oh, yeah, you're a Vic-20 with all your data on a cassette tape, which came out in 1980. So the one-upmanship of them calling each other more, further and further outdated tech actually lines up. <laughs> wow, okay, I did not watch the show correctly. Apparently this is a lot smarter than I thought. I had a lot of fun with this episode. And Here you I... were, doing background research on all their insults, and I was just waiting for Rocco to do something funny. I, I really liked their B-plot, where, like, here's their, their fucking incel friend actually experiencing, like, what it's like to bond with to first of all realize that a girl can have the same nerdy interests as you and then like bonding with her over that and like they have a very quickly moving relationship i love the joke about them picking out wallpaper for their website <laughs> such that's such a good silly bit and then because his his other friends are um intimidated by the fact that he cares about this girl toxic masculinity rears its ugly fucking head and they say well how dare you like care about her fraternize with the enemy yeah you're pc whipped they call him um that's that's Rocco's term not yep. uh his his minions because he runs techerson tech by the way he's like the head honcho yep. of all of these sad nerds yeah they're i mean the other sad nerds are concerned that he's engaging with a femoid um but Rocco's like, yeah, you're PC whipped, dude. And he instantly like, oh, well, my guy friends are telling me that and they know women, so they must be right. So he kind of, he turns on his girlfriend, tries to put her in the digital kitchen, basically. And she gets justifiably pissed off at that and tries and like says, okay, well, I'm going to give you a fucking virus and destroy your entire setup. And they kind of, like, he apologizes, but they're they're not together anymore, and they're not on great terms by the end. And it's, That's... like, kind of bittersweet, where it's, like, he kind of learns and grows from that, but they're not going to be together again. It, it's a one-two very good, uh, like, two buttons on this joke, uh, that and uh, concluding marks on this B-plot, which I think is stronger than the A-plot. They're doing different things. One is more comedy-based. One is actually trying to relate to the audience who are probably Frenchmen themselves, mm -hmm. and having to share, like, a dorm room with the opposite sex. Oh my god. But it's the password to end this mass infection on his computer system is I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like, I'm sorry, what a dumb password. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then the the button on the episode itself is the fire alarm goes off and both Gimpy and his online girlfriend have to leave. Their rooms are right next to each other. They had no idea. They're both shut-ins. Yeah. They will probably never meet outside of the internet. They've never seen a photo of each other because they just use avatars online. It, this is actually... You know what? I'm. You have turn me around on this this is a really well-written episode 
I real especially the B plot. Like the B plot is so good. I even love the stupid ER joke. You didn't even realize that they were roommates the entire time. Yeah. But they get along famously until they don't. Yeah. Until outside forces are like, it's weird that you're getting along. Any standout jokes from this episode? Because this writer, this writing staff is pretty talented when they want to be. There are some good lines in this. Uh, yeah. I think my favorite joke is uh, also in the B plot when Rocco is like coming in to actually tell him that being nice to his girlfriend is a bad thing and makes him a weak man. Um, where he's like, well, Cosmo says, Cosmo says so. Oh yeah, that's Rocco reads Cosmo. My. Yeah, my fa- his, my his, other uh, favorite joke of this episode is the setup to this one. Um, but first, he's like, "Yeah, Cosmo says so," and then uh, Gimpy's like, "Oh yeah, can I see?" And Rocco just lights the magazine on fire in his hand and says, "No, no, you cannot." And like he just lets the whole magazine burst into flame, burns his hand, and is like that level of petty. Is something I aspire to. There's a great bit of animation there because you can actually see part of like the magazine coloring, like imprint on his on his palm. Yeah, like it's burned into his skin. And Gimpy's like, doesn't that hurt? He's grimacing. He's like, no. Nope. Um, but yeah, I also like the the setup at the very beginning where uh, Nitz is like, are you reading Cosmo? Yeah, it's a buck cheaper than jugs and smells like chicks because they've got perfume <laughs> samples in the magazine. Uh, Rocco is the MVP of this show, by I the re- way. I respect he has, the He's got so many good jokes throughout the entire run of the series uh, because he is the one that's just allowed to be a scumbag comic relief. Like, he never has a tender moment in this entire run of, the, of like, these I, 13 I episodes. I believe it. I mean, he's, he's the frat bro. Yeah, so he's constantly, like, the butt of the joke and a loser, and it works perfectly for him. I love the one, it's not even a joke, but at the end of the episode when he just wanders into Nitz's uh, dorm room, he's just muttering, shoot that bastard in the back. Hey, girls. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? I think he's talking about Cal. Maybe. He hates Cal, understandably. He, He offers to kill Cal, like, three times. Run, running joke through this episode as well is uh, Rocco's bottomless hatred for Cal. Yeah. I I do love uh, I do love that one joke of speaking of Rocco. It's when he passes Nitz the copy of of Cosmo uh, with the article. Does your roommate have the hots for you? <laughs> Nitz tries to give it back, and he goes like, "Take it." I've got plenty. He holds up two big stacks of magazines. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, it's a dollar cheaper than jugs, but you've got to be spending so much money on magazines. I And I think the, my favorite joke in this episode is when Gimpy is is doing that thing people do in cartoons when all, like, lines of dialogue from other characters are playing in, in his brain. Mm-hmm. And this is how he realizes that... Uh, his relationship with She Prime is 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 a little imbalanced for him as the as the man in it. But so macho manly uh, alpha man. So he hears himself calling her a cute name a couple times. He hears Rocco saying PC whipped, and then he hears Cal saying 
I don't say anything applicable to the current situation. Rule of threes, baby! <laughs> it's so funny. It's so clever. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I laughed at it when I saw this originally back in, like, 2004. I laughed at it again last night at 2 a.m. Yeah. It's, it's a good... There's some really clever writing in this show. Yeah, so there's also um, a point to, like, the, the discrepancy in the American and Canadian releases, or basically American and non-American release, uh, was that the American release got access to MTV's uh, music banks, and in outside of that, we didn't. So there's, like, this, no. this uh, soft indie song that plays at one point, when, like, Cal is talking to himself alone in a dark room and, uh, Nitz is debating if he should make a move at Jesse. I don't know who the Canadian, uh, band would, uh, is for, for the episode we watched. Uh, apparently for the American release, it would have been Alan Parsons' project. Don't answer me, though. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bummed about that. Well, look, understandably, you love yourself some Alan Parsons Project. I, I, I really do. As is your right. No one's taking that away from you. Good, because they bite their hand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I didn't realize it was that serious. But another aspect of this show I loved when I was watching it originally, and I didn't realize until I was revisiting it for this show, for this podcast, was how much this show at the time warped my taste in music yeah yeah because so a funny story a funny story um i was absolutely watching the show it was around like 2002 2003 definitely not old enough to be under watching the show and understanding most of the jokes mm -hmm. but i recognized a lot of the music because it's a lot of canadian indie pop rock uh and kind of like college music you hear on a college radio somewhere in southern ontario you have those yes they, they, we absolutely had those weird not where we went but they existed so there is this one thanksgiving where my cousin connor uh came down to actually this is, i think it was in brantford where we were hosting thanksgiving the f big family thanksgiving with everybody and my cousin Connor, who was a med student at the time, I don't I don't remember where he was going. I think in Toronto. Okay. And like, he just became like, oh, this is what a college person is. He is the titular undergrad now. <gasps> okay. And I, and I, I shit you not, there was, like, while uh, like Thanksgiving Day, we're all hanging out at the house, dinner is cooking, we're all just watching the football game or wasting time, and he says like I gotta go pick something up for my buddy. Now I'm now at my big age I realized he was gonna go score some weed. Naturally. And that's what I think it was, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. And what happened was he's like, You wanna come along? Like I, I you can just stay in the car for like uh five minutes while I stop by this buddy. We can just go on a ride and talk and like, yeah, I haven't I haven't spoken to you since you got here. So yeah, let's go for a car ride. He sets me down in the, in the first, uh, front seat and says, like, yeah, you can pick the radio station. It was like a Sirius XM something or other. Okay. And I'm flipping through the channels, and I stop on Sam Roberts' Brother Down, which is featured, not in this episode, but in Undergrads, which is where I first heard that song. And 
I'm sitting in a in a car with a college student, and it's like he just activates because he looks at the radio like, "How do you know that song? I love Sam Roberts." Oh hell yeah! And this is why I really like Pete Williams. You fucking genius! You know the college mind. He con- you connected across generations. Yeah, yeah. That's really cute. Yeah, um, I love the soundtrack of this sh- of this show. Uh, plenty of great, both pop punk and rock indie bangers yeah. from the early two thousands. Uh, I, I like I like the Good Charlotte opening. I do uh, kind of mourn that Blink One Eighty Two's "What's My Age" would have been even more on the nose. You know what? Hot take: The Click is a superior song. I, I agree with you on, like, a technical level that, yes, The Click is a better song. <laughs> Maybe because, like, I was watching reruns of this show forever, so it's, in, like, embedded in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is a vastly better song. What's My Age is very on the nose for this show. Absolutely. No, no argument on that front. Um, yeah, like, you can just look through the... Uh, the list of bands that was associated with undergrads like because every episode ends with a song over the credits and there are multiple music stings throughout it because this is just this is what mtv animation kind of did they had to include music somewhere yeah that was their whole bit yeah and so undergrads just had like stuff you'd hear on college radio like piped in throughout the episode but here in canada we got a lot more obscure and canadian with it yeah yeah just quick shout out to the score um so this this cast of one person. Yeah, uh so this will be this will be quick. All four of the leads are voiced by Pete Williams. I'm I'm impressed. Again, yeah, for like a 20 something, an early 20 something when he's recording all these lines. He he's got he a, he does a good job at like varying his voice enough that he can carry four different characters. And they all sound different enough. The majority of episodes is just Pete Williams talking to himself. Yeah. Like, 90% of undergrads is just one guy in the... It's a one-man show. Yeah, like, it's... Yeah, he does, like, three goofy character voices and then just his voice, I assume. I, I'm safe to... It's safe to assume that Nitz is just Pete Williams. Like, it's gotta be, right? Yeah. There's there's absolutely no bit to the voice. That's that's just his voice. But like you were saying, there's enough distinction between like Rocco and Gimpy and Cal. Uh, they're all kind of leaning on a stereotypical type of voice, but yeah, he's like making Rocco it work is, and is able to do a lot within that range. Rocco is low chesty dumb jock voice. Uh, Cal is like a bright airy forehead voice that he puts that little in whenever he uh, is worried that the the voice won't carry um and gimpy is a nasally nerd voice uh, and despite the fact that cal's whole character is that uh he is a lothario and an idiot like pete williams is kind of just doing a stereotypical stereotypical gay voice a hundred percent that's the, that's one of the aspects of the show it doesn't particularly age well yeah uh that and uh gimpy's name Wow, okay, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Like, I, I've been just so normalized to this character. It's like, no, that's that's what... That, that's Gimpy. It's yeah, like, that's, that's Jesus a totally Jesus Christ, normal. dude. Yeah. 
it's a, a little bit ableist, isn't it, love? 2001. Yeah. What can we say? Yeah, I think that's why my brain uh, was like, Gets, right? That's his name, right? That's, yeah, that's somehow cleaner and yep. nicer. Yep. My brain was just trying to protect me. And I, I guess the only other character of note in this episode is Jessie. Yeah, uh, and so she is voiced by uh, Jean Yeo, uh, who is actually, she's an animator more than a voice actor. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm seeing that on uh, her IMDb. Yeah. Uh, only two voice roles and around like ten, n- sorry, nine uh, CG and animator roles. Yeah, and that's, again, that's surprising. She does a, she's got a really great voice for, for voice acting. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I think her performance is really good, uh, especially when paired with the wet blanket that is Nitz. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I really liked the two. Um, I also want to, um, I want to shout out uh, Sunday Muse as she... Uh, she Prime? She Prime. I, I just think she did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the voice a lot, actually. Yeah, I... I mean, I just like the character. I love her design. I I love her. Yeah, we didn't even her uh, her introductory uh, angle where like she's dramatically clicking down. It's such a good like illustration piece, even before it's moving. Oh, I've seen plenty of uh, Tumblr accounts that use that uh, picture as a profile. I pic. believe that. Um, we didn't even talk about it, but uh, so there is actually, despite. MTV not caring where it aired or if anybody saw it. There's a lot of money behind this show because it looks crisp. Yeah, like for for having absolutely no money to produce the pilot, I, I'm I'm glad they ended up getting enough budget to make it look as good as it does. Yeah, like the the colors pop, the lines are clear. Uh, the you were mentioning it before, but the character design is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of care and effort went into this, and I maybe that has something to do with Pete Williams thinking he has something to prove, which he did. He absolutely did. Yeah, like a fucking twenty-something uh, just thrust into the world of television animation. You can't fuck this up because this might be your one and only chance, and it kind of was. Yep. Well, and now he's getting a second chance because. Uh, undergrads had an incredible cult following in Canada. You're welcome, Pete. Yeah, you're, you're fucking welcome. I guarantee that most of the money for that Kickstarter for the movie that came in CAD, baby. <laughs> most definitely. Um, yes. Uh, so we should mention that and uh, probably put a link uh, to the. We'll put a link to the Kickstarter campaign, which is already funded in the episode description just so you can follow up um pete williams was and we always love when this happens he was able to buy back the rights to undergrads from mtv and in 2018 announced a kickstarter campaign for a feature-length series finale film called undergrads a movie yeah probably gonna be done in toon boom it'll be whatever it is i mean this was a bygone era when MTV just had a bunch of money to gamble on a 19-year-old self-insert fiction? Yeah. Not anymore. He's got to fund it himself at the tender age of 40. Yeah, but... so, like, I think it's a, it's easy to assume that the movie's not going to look 
the same as the show. There might be a, a change in priority. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to comment on any quality yet because it doesn't exist yet in, in completed no. form. Honestly, uh, a couple of a couple of Kickstarter announcement videos and update videos have been animated with uh, using the Nitz character talking to the backers. Mm-hmm. It looks fine. Like it looks pretty good. All right. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, unfortunately, with a lot of fan produced stuff that were that were going into production around 2018, 2019. Something happened around that time that kind of pushed the release date back. I have no idea what could have possibly done that. Well, in the latest update, uh, Pete Williams was saying, saying like, be optimistic for a 2025 release. And if it happens, very happy for him because revisiting this episode today, he had something here. He surrounded himself at like the naive age of 19 working in... An, an unforgiving animation industry. He's surrounded himself with enough talent to produce something that holds up better than I thought it would. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of promise here. I think there's there's kind of like an, a semi-untapped market in terms of like cartoons for like the college crowd. I think it's just because there's so many fucking cartoons about high school students. Yeah. That yeah, it's like just yeah. or, college life seems so underrepresented in animation. Yeah, because it's it's so it's so interesting you say that because at the time, undergrads was competing on MTV's own network with Clone High. Yep. And which one became the beloved cult figure that got a revival in twenty twenty three? High school one, obviously. Always does. Yeah. Always does. There's no clone you. There should be though. No, it's just a ba- it's just a joke in the first Spider Verse movie. That's all you get. Damn it. Wait, is there seriously a clone high joke in Spider Verse? Yeah, in the first one, uh, when uh, Peter B. Parker arrives in um, Miles Morales's universe, mm-hmm. he crashes into oh yeah, clone uh, college. Times Square. Clone College, yeah. yeah. He, he crashes into uh, Times Square, and it's just on a big display in yeah, Times Square. Yeah, I, I forgot about that bit. It's in the background, and it's pretty subtle, and it's really funny. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on undergrads? I was surprised. I was surprised that I liked it. We don't usually get a recommend when we... Do one of these scenic detour episodes. I'm, I'm gonna, it's a tentative because I haven't seen any other episodes. I, I will say not because this was not by design, but this is one of the most grounded and relatable episodes. Because yeah. not only do you have this, uh, this really tender and awkward will-they-won't-they they romance between Nitz and Jesse, one realizing, you know, that girls can be more than friends or can be friends mm-hmm. whichever way he wants to lean but and he has to make B a fucking choice of... and communicate that yes. choice yes you have to be an adult and that b story of like you know you can actually have a meaningful romantic relationship exclusively online weird yeah. 
Who thought? 2001. 2001. What what a future we're living in. One of the other episodes I send you to, I don't know, maybe uh, pick, was Drunks. And in Drunks, the A plot is Nitz is underage and wants to go to a bar to woo his high school crush Kimmy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's not a a drinker, so how is he going to navigate that? Meanwhile, in the B plot, Rocco is hallucinating a giant bottle of whiskey that tells him to drink more. (laughs) <laughs> so you're saying we lucked into like the best episode we lucked into the like most grounded and relatable episode God, i'm not really this is like the opposite of our sons of butcher problem where we stumbled into a not good episode well stumbled into i mean i i love that show but i'm not gonna say like if we picked another one at random it's gonna be good <laughs> we can try we should try we do for a revisit well, yeah. We are due for a revisit. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I've i been on board with the revisit since we did that. I just needed a break. <laughs> you needed a year. Yeah. One episode of Sons of Butcher a year well, is I, enough. I really also needed to emotionally recover from the fact that they reached out to us. <laughs> so that's the other reason why I'm being so like careful that I'm not going to say whether or not I liked the new look for for the Undergrads movie because I feel like Pete Williams will find us. I I feel like the despite a little uh razzing him for his self-insertness and the awkwardness of being a 19-year-old show running a a primetime animated product for mm-hmm. MTV Animation, you did a pretty good job, man. Yeah. It's I think I said it before we recorded. It's like um, calling out uh, Chris Paolini for like for Aragon being not great. It's like, yeah, you wrote it when you were fifteen, and that's commendable. It shows that you were fifteen when you wrote this, and like, same thing for undergrads. Like, it's it's a solid little show. It shows that you were nineteen. Yeah. I mean, well, think about it. He's trying to comment on the college experience while he's living it. From inside the house. And never finished it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you have a talented group of writers working with you to, you know, probably a decade older than you who absolutely went to college and realized, like, no, dude, it gets better. That's a dumb idea. That's really childish. Here, let me fix that for you. Yeah, I I can do a better bit. And, oh, we have to talk about Star Wars again? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we can we can throw in a bit sure yeah you want to make your little references that's okay pete but you know you got to have a plot here right Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of cartoon night in canada if you like what you heard and how could you not please consider giving us a like share review subscribe and all those other things on your podcatcher of choice preferably apple Podcasts, because that helps us reach the widest possible audience you can find the show on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod, where we post new episodes every Saturday. Except when we don't. Except when we don't. You can find myself on Twitter at Cinema Creep, where I will go be going down a very painful and awkward rabbit hole of relating all of the stuff that I wrote in college for the school newspaper. <laughs> and you can find me. And you want to read that shit? You can find me at Silly Skeletons, where I will post. Um, the complete which Ninja Turtle is each main cast member of Undergrads. Oh, please tell me when you do, because I will retweet that from the show account. Oh, good. You don't have to. I will.
<laughs> I know um, I'm hilarious. We all agree. Goodbye. Bye.